0: Well, hey, good morning, church. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. Just want to welcome you this morning, whether you're joining us at church online or Facebook live, we're just so excited and blessed to be able to still open up God's word, see what he has in store for us this morning. Um, Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, Now it is officially okay, without guilt or shame, to put up the Christmas tree. So go ahead and do that. Maybe you're like Stephanie and I. We did that like three weeks ago, but as we are gearing our hearts and our minds moving into the Advent season... We actually have a gift for you. We have devotionals for you uh, by Paul Tripp. They're called Come, Let Us Adore Him. And these are through a series of daily readings. We're going to focus uh, on the long-awaited birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So go ahead. You can pick those up at either the Spring Lake or Grand Haven campus from 4 to 7 p.m. on Tuesday, December 1st. So make sure you get that. That's our gift for you. Hope that it's in encouragement and a joy for you. And if you have your Bibles this morning, morning, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 is where we're going to be starting. We are continuing our series, The Way, the Truth, and the Life, we're looking at not only the actions that Jesus did, not only the people that he talked to, not only what he did, but really diving in and seeking to understand why. Why did he do the things that he did? The Gospel of Matthew, it was written to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long awaited uh, heir to the throne of David as Israel's true king, that he is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, that his people would be a blessing to the world. And what we're going to notice today, there's going to be a pivot in the ministry of Jesus. He's going to go from straight, uh, straightforward teaching and preaching and performing miracles, and then also there's going to be a change, and he's going to start teaching in parables. So why? We need to ask ourselves that question as we dive into this message. Why did he change how he was addressing how he was teaching? Um, as a father, I have two sons, Cameron and Colby, Cameron's nine, Colby is five. And as a father, uh, I take an extreme amount of pride and I experience great joy when my see, when I see my kids really expressing the same interests that I have. And when they start excelling, um, at things that I was good at when I was a kid and when I can like have fun with them in that, think about like sports, there's Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, in acting, there's Tom Hanks and his son, if you're from like Coopersville or Nunica, um, Think like Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., right? Like all the rednecks said, amen. Like think about that type of relationship. My kids, um, they just started like going off the deep end on video games. So like we have that going for us. That's what we're good at. But, but I can remember when Cameron first picked up that Xbox controller and he's trying to play, um, he was awful. He was so bad. And I hope he's watching this right now. But as I started playing with him, instead of playing NBA 2K, I'd be like, hey, this, press A to pass, press X to shoot. Cam, you're, you're pulling up from half court. You're never gonna make that shot. You gotta drive in. When I'm running this play, you need to stand here in order to play defense against me. There came a point where Cameron figured out the game. There came a point where Cameron was actually beating me in this game. And it was in that moment, I had to change up my strategy. In that moment, I had to say, hey, don't, don't, don't mistake my kindness for a weakness. I really had to show him who the boss was. So, as we're looking at Jesus and teaching in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, after he he gets baptized, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he starts teaching very straightforward up until chapter 12. Uh, Go ahead, look at this as he uh, describes what his mission statement is. Uh, Dave preached a message on this a couple weeks ago called Mission Accomplished. And here's a mission statement, Luke 4, verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then from here, we look at Luke chapter four. He heals a man with a demon. He goes on to heal many people, including Peter's mother-in-law. Chapter five, he cleanses a leper. He heals a paralytic. Chapter seven, he goes into this thing where he's healing a centurion's servant. He resurrects a widow's son. We move over to Matthew. He calms the storm and there's the wind there's the waves he's looking at the storm he causes it to And the disciples look at him they're like man he, he really is the son of god he has authority even over nature chapter 9 he heals a blind man a man who is unable to speak and then we get to chapter 12 he declares himself as lord of the sabbath he says hey if you really want true rest if you really want peace you're going to have to find it in me i have authority over everything i am lord of the Sabbath. Then chapter three comes and he starts speaking in parables. Why? See, parables are, they're difficult to to understand. Uh, Certainly more difficult than the miracles and the teachings that we have witnessed. See, we need to understand what happened in chapter 12 in order to make sense of chapter 13. It literally changes everything. Go ahead and look at verse 22. It says, then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. And he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed, and they said, "'Can this be the son of David?' But the Pharisees, when they heard it, they said, "'It's only by Bezabal, the prince of demons, "'that this man cast out demons. "'Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, "'Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, "'and no city or house divided against itself will stand.'" And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Bezalel, by whom your sons cast them out, uh, therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then verse 31 says, Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or in the age to come. So let's pause. Let's, let's think about this man that's brought to Jesus. He's blind. He's mute. He's demon-possessed. All three of them. And in the moment that Jesus heals this man, we see two responses. The first one is amazement. The, the people are watching and they're like, man, th- th- this man is demon possessed. He's blind. He's mutes. Jesus just healed him. This, this, Maybe this is the son of David. And it's like, oh man, they're getting it. They're going to accept him. They're accepting that this is the Messiah. They're, you know what? They're actually contemplating his divinity. They're saying this must be the one that we're waiting for. But then we see the second response, denial. The Pharisees, they say it's only by Bezebel, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And it's like, man, why are there always the negative people in the crowd? Right, my, my wife, she's like, this is you. <laughs> this is you. you. You find the negative in everything. She says, I'm like the Nature Valley guy. Um, Nature Valley bars are like really dried out, nasty granola bars. And their, their marketing campaign was actually pretty, pretty hilarious. It's like this husband and wife, they're, they're marching through the woods and they're going on this trail. And the wife is like, man, look at the mountains. Look at the sky. Look at the sunrise. It's just so beautiful, isn't it? And the husband's like, yeah, I guess, like if you're into that type of thing. And it's like, man, there's just, just a straight up denial of what is really just beautiful and lovely and encouraging. And like, man, so people, these people are looking at it and they're like, this is the son of God. This is the one that we're waiting for. And the Pharisees are like, no, I don't, I don't think so. They're saying that Jesus is working with Satan, like his evil sidekick, casting out demons. They saw the hand of God at work, but they chose to harden their hearts to that hand. The Pharisees, they refused Jesus. The reason why is because other than some of the miracles he performed, he was doing everything opposite of what they expected the Messiah to do. And looking for this militant leader, there was no national liberation. He associated with the enemies, with Roman centurions, with uh, uh, tax collectors, with sinners. He was violating long-held rabbinic ethnic codes. He was making these just way far out there claims. He's greater than David. He's greater than the temple. He has the authority to forgive sins that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is gonna call this out. He's gonna say how idiotic that logic is. Guys, stop for a minute. Listen to yourselves. Listen to the claims that you are saying. He responds and saying, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Jesus is very clear. Whoever is not with me, is against me. There's only one way to experience salvation. Allah doesn't save you. Buddha doesn't save you. Being a good person doesn't save you. Doing your best doesn't save you because you're not good enough. Trying to memorize scripture doesn't save you. Memorizing the scriptures and trying to be perfect doesn't save you because we don't have the ability to be perfect. At the moment that we were born, we're spiritually depraved. We're already losing. The only way to experience salvation is through Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. John 14.6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we're not with Jesus, we are against him. And then he goes on to explain what the unforgivable sin is. All right, in explaining this unforgivable sin, we have to understand um, the unforgivable sin is not committing murder. Uh, there, There are people that are serving a life sentence in prison right now, guilty of this crime, they still can accept Jesus and be saved. Okay, the unforgivable sin is not committing suicide. There are people that love the Lord and they find themselves in a deep, dark place. And and Satan is just casting things upon them and they're stuck in this deep, dark place and they take their own lives. That, That sin is not unforgivable if they're in Christ. The unforgivable sin isn't divorce. Yeah, God hates divorce, hates it. He says that in scripture, but he gives these reasons that we can be divorced, even though he still hates it, it is not unforgivable. Look at verse 31. It says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the sin against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So again, let's go back to Pastor Dave's message. What was Jesus's mission statement? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see what the Pharisees just did is they committed this unforgivable sin. The one and only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I know it's kind of confusing what Jesus just said, so track with me here that sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Words spoken against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but not blasphemy against the Spirit. So, John Wolverd, he was the former president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He explains it this way attributing to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God. Attributing to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God. That is exactly what happens here. Look again at verse 22, this demon possessed man has brought to Jesus. He's blind, he's mute. Jesus heals him. The people watching are amazed, but the Pharisees respond in denial, denial of what the power of the Holy Spirit is doing. And he they say this, it's only by Bezabal, the prince of demons that this man cast out demons. And it is in this moment that we see the shift. It is in this moment where Jesus pivots. It's in this moment where his teaching is going to take a different route and he's going to start speaking in parables. And Jesus is fired up. He's talking about how a tree is known by its fruit. He talks about the sign of Jonah. And Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, but he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And something we need to understand is how messed up Nineveh was. They literally had heads impaled on stakes outside of their city. And Jonah knew this, so he's like, I don't want to go there. But we know the story. He's swallowed up by a whale. He goes, he preaches a message. The entire city repents. Jesus is like, I'm greater than Jonah. He says that he's greater than Solomon, the wisest man on the planet up until Jesus, he's saying, I'm greater than him. Then we see this interaction between Jesus, uh, his mother and his brothers. Look at uh, Matthew 12, verse 46. It says, while he was still speaking with the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. But he replied to the man who told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother." One commentary explains it this way that Jesus' family, they may have been trying to talk to him, to bring him to his senses, because they noticed this change. They noticed how fired up and passionate he was. And what he's saying is that there's a cost to following me throughout scripture we'll see that he says I come not to bring peace but I come to bring a sword and there's going to be families that are divided amongst each other. There's going to be father against son, mother against daughter and there's always going to be a price to following Jesus. Matthew 10 says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And there's always these earthly consequences that we have for following Christ. And I sit with people throughout the week and we talk about this. And the most frustrating thing is how are people going to respond when I'm acting different? How are people going to respond when I accept the gospel, when I start living for Jesus? And man, I have friends that do these things and I, I don't want to offend those friends, but I still want to do this half in half out thing. That's not how it works. Jesus promises there's going to be a turmoil. There's going to be conflict. And this is where we find ourselves in Matthew 13. Look at verse one, it says the same day. So this is a big day for Jesus. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him. So he got to a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground and they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell among the soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. If I'm sitting there in that crowd, I'm like, what? What are you even Talking about can we can we go back to the Sermon on the Mount? Remember when you're talking about anger, lust, divorce, uh, oaths, retaliation, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, the Lord's Prayer, fasting, and and so on, where it was like really straightforward. Like now you're preaching about seeds and soil. I'm lost. You're you're losing me here. Um, makes me think about when I started taking algebra in school and I was like the meme lady. We all know the meme lady, right? And it's like, okay, when when there's just numbers involved, like it's straightforward. I I can get to the answer very quickly. But the moment like A or X enters the equation, it's like, why? I I don't understand. I'm lost. Why do I even have to do this? When is this ever going to make sense? When am I ever going to use this in my life? Um, maybe you're like me and we're teaching our kids from home now and my, uh, my nine-year-old is starting to do like the algebraic equations. I'm like, oh, okay, it, it makes sense. It's come full circle. I see it where in life I need to use this. But think about the disciples. They're sitting there. They're, they're, they're even thrown by this. Look at what they asked Jesus in verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? See, parables... They're told for two reasons. Uh, The first reason parables are told is uh, parables hide truth from outsiders. Parables hide the truth from outsiders. Parables, they illustrate and clarify truth for those with ears to hear, while they have the exact opposite effect on those who oppose and reject Christ. They were told parables in order to hide the truth, to conceal the mystery of the kingdom in order to prevent outsiders from coming in. Um, a couple summers ago, my father-in-law and uh, my, me, uh, we built a treehouse. For my kids and tree, tree house is like a loose term. If you look at the pictures, it's obviously not in a tree. It's like we built a platform and we put like a mini house on top of it and we called it a tree house. Um, but the joy for my kids was not in building the, the tree house. It wasn't in buying the supplies or setting the posts or, you know, putting the walls up, picking the paint colors. That's not where they found joy. That's not where they experienced like, okay, this is awesome. We have a tree house where they found joy and what they really loved about the treehouse was having a password for who could enter it and who couldn't. And it's like, I found myself on the outside. It's like, I'm just trying to mow my lawn and I'm just walking by and my kids are sitting there on like their little platform shooting at me with Nerf guns. And it's like, ha ha, dad, you don't know the password. You don't get to come in. See, before I knew the password, I was a bad guy. You see, they had this information that they were withholding to keep me from coming in. But the moment I received the password, the moment they made it known to me and they told me what it was, I could hang out inside with them. We could have popcorn. We could watch movies. There were so many blessings that came with knowing and understanding the password where I could enter. And that's where everything changed. Verse 11 says, and he answered them to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given Verse 15, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, uh, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So in my home, um, Stephanie and I, when we have something serious that we want to talk about and we bring the kids in on it, uh, we have what's called family talk. And we'll sit down around our table. We'll say, hey, uh, we're going to have this conversation. This is what we need you to understand. And, and this needs to stay inside of our family. Okay, in order to protect our family, in order to you know, have the same goal, the same mind, be on the same page, we have to have these conversations to make sure that we all have this inside information that's going to stay here. So think about it. Jesus, he points to his disciples and he says, This is my family. And then he follows it up with, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't explain the, far- the, the parable to the Pharisees, he doesn't explain it to the crowds, he doesn't explain it to anybody else that is there listening. He, he specifically Explains it to the ones that have chosen to dedicate their lives and follow him, his family. See, people want so badly to know like weird things about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Like I'll be meeting with somebody and I'll share the gospel and, and I'll think they understand it. And I'm like, hey, here's the thing, like we're born separated from God. And in order to have a relationship with him, Jesus came, he lived a perfect sinless life. And they, accepting that, believing in your heart, confessing that with your mouth, that, that's the only way that you get saved. And they'll be like, okay. And I can see the, see the wheels like spinning and then they'll say, What's like, I get that. What, what's the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification though? Like, I really, I really don't get how the Holy Spirit works and sanctification, like it's a big word. Um, can, you, can you explain that to me? Or they'll be like, hey, there's a rapture um, and there's tribulation. I'm, I'm not really looking forward to tribulation. Is that rapture gonna be uh, pre-tribulation or post-tribulation? Because that's a really big deal and I really want to know about that. Or maybe it's like, hey, there, there are so many denominations. I don't understand. Why, what's all the differences? Why are there so many of them? And it's like, hey, calm down. Like these, these are good questions to have, but bro, you're not even in the family yet. You, you haven't even decided to be an insider and we can explain these things and we can work through them and I can definitely help you understand them. But these are not your number one problems. Your number one problem is your standing before the Lord. Your number one problem is your relationship with Jesus. Once we take care of that thing, once you enter the family, then we can work through all these other things. Verse 16 says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the second purpose, the second reason Jesus will teach in parables are parables reveal truth to the insiders. Parables reveal truth to the insiders And as the truth is revealed to his disciples, he's going to explain this parable. He's going to go into the parable of the four soils and really break it down so that they can comprehend it and see where they stand and help people decide to follow him. So let's do a a case study and let's look at these four soils as Jesus breaks them down. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay, so this hard path, we'll call it this guy uh, rejecting Ricky. Okay, this is a guy that you explain the gospel to. He hears it, thinks about it, but, but ultimately he rejects it. Ultimately his heart is hard. The seed of the gospel does not penetrate his heart. It does not stick. So the enemy comes, snatches him away. He walks away. He doesn't decide to follow Jesus. And honestly, we we see this in the church. I see this with people that I walk with, people that I counsel, but um, it's profoundly sad, but it's not my ultimate concern. Look at verse 20. It says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the rocky ground, we'll call this person, No Depth Debbie, No Depth Debbie. This is the person who comes in, they, they hear the gospel. They're excited about it. Man, they want to do the things, they want to hang out with the people, they're posting our stuff on Facebook, they're liking our Instagram posts, and they're really excited. And it looks like they're all in, but the moment tribulation or persecution enters, man, they're out. This is what I'm worried about. This is the one that keeps me up at night. This is the one that uh, churches across the country are experiencing. Uh, Barna.com, they did a recent survey. Uh, Recent data show among practicing Christians, those who identify as Christian, they strongly agree that faith is very important in their lives and they attend church at least monthly. Okay, this is prior to COVID-19. Over half, 53%, say they have streamed their regular church online in the past four weeks. Uh, Another 34% admits to streaming a different church service online other than their own, essentially church hopping digitally. Okay, do with that what you will. I'm glad they're going to church. But then look at this. Finally, about one-third of practicing Christians say they have done neither of these things. We can confidently interpret this group of those who have dropped out of church for the time being. Just dropped out. And this, this is a result of tribulation, okay? COVID-19, um, it, is not, it is not persecution. It is tribulation. And there are places in the world that are being persecuted. There are places in the world where people are hunted down for their faith. That is not happening here though. And for 30 plus percent to check out because of tribulation, because times are being hard right now, that, that is something that we need to be deeply concerned with. What is going to happen when we do experience persecution? How many more are going to fall away? This is a very deep warning against being rocky soil. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Okay, thorns, this is half in Henry half in Henry. Henry, from the outside looking in, it looks like he has a good life. Okay. But he hangs out with friends that like the party. He has a job that consumes his life, but you're looking at it like, okay, man, everything is really put together. Um, but he's still finding his life is unfruitful. It's still unfulfilling. There's still something missing in his life. And he hears the gospel, but. He, he doesn't want to change his friends. What are, what are they going to think about him? Or he doesn't want to give up the wealth and the status that he's accumulated in his job. He doesn't want to reprioritize everything in his life. He doesn't want to give these things of the world away in order to gain Christ. Ultimately, changing to bear fruit. And he refuses to do that. Then look at verse 23. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Uh, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. This is the fourth soil. And we call this person uh, bearing fruit, berry, bearing fruit, berry, berry, here's the gospel. He understands it. Um, maybe not every little detail, maybe not all theology and, and doctrine, but he understands his status before the Lord. He understands that he's a broken, sinful person and desperate need for a savior. He accepts Christ. Uh, because of that, he's compelled and he's moved and he wants to share the gospel through his workplace, through his relationships, through whatever means possible. He's sharing the gospel and producing fruit. Barry is a part of the family. One out of four, he finds himself on the inside. So now we have to contemplate this. Understanding why Jesus started changing his delivery and, and teaching in parables, we have to ask ourselves a question. And here's the big question Am I inside the family or am I outside looking in? Am I inside the family or am I outside looking in? Am I a part of this family of God? Have I accepted the gospel? Has it changed my life? Has it changed my interactions, my thought process, the way that I conduct myself? Has it changed me? Do I rejoice with those who rejoice? Do I weep with those who weep? Or am I on the outside looking in? Do I have a critical heart? Do I have a critical spirit? Do I doubt that the Lord is able to move even in these trying times? Do I doubt the Lord can perform a miracle in my marriage, in my relationship with my kids? Can he redeem and restore what is broken? Do I doubt that? Am I inside the family or am I outside looking in? There are three signs that I see of an insider, three things that we can apply and look at this to ensure that we are indeed a part of this family. The first one is stay plugged in. Stay plugged in. Families, families, don't leave each other. Uh, church is still happening. Small groups are still happening. Christ is still King. Jesus is still on the throne. Let's not add to the 30% that is already checked out. Um, Zoom, none of us like Zoom, but saying, I, I'm not going to check in. I'm not going to go to small group. I'm not gonna to go to church because I don't do the virtual thing. I don't Zoom, I don't like it. I think it's stupid. That's not good enough. That's not a good enough reason. We have to stay plugged in. We have to continue to bear fruit. We have to continue to lock arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to be a part of this family moving forward. Second sign of an insider, disciple someone, disciple someone. Uh, We are called to make disciples. Uh, Pandemics don't stop discipleship. There are so many people in our church that are broken, that are hurting, that you know, maybe they're more introverted. And this whole idea of isolating and doing things online and doing things virtually has been so hard for them. And they're just trying to process, they're just trying to get through, but man, they, they just need someone to come beside them. Seek that person out. FaceTime with them. I mean, I do so many FaceTime meetings a week. No, it's not ideal. It's not my ideal way of doing it, but man, we are called to make disciples, to lock arms with our family. Keep moving forward is the third one. Keep moving forward. I remember when I was in the military, um, I did a lot of SEER training. SEER stands for survival, evasion, resistance, capture and escape. Um, The main thing that they taught us was movement is life. I remember Pastor Cal was giving a vision statement, uh, Vision Weekend a couple years ago. We're talking around the idea of church planting. And I remember this, it sticks in my mind. He says, the moment that we get complacent, the moment that we think we made it and we can just hunker down and we can ride this out, that is the moment that this church will start to die. In the same way, church, right now, we, we have to keep moving forward. These hard times, they they will not last. Romans 18 says, the the A18 says, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us, that this is going to come to an end. And our circumstances, they might not change, but our eternal place in heaven is secure. And we need to keep our eyes focused on that promised prize. This hit me this last week. Um, I was talking with uh, Pastor Taylor, Um, over Zoom and it's like, okay, um, we were doing these 20s events, I'm the 20s pastor and we're excited about how the Lord is moving and we're we're able to worship together in person and it's amazing, but um, we had to shut everything back down. So in my mind, I'm like, what do I do? What what do I do? How do I keep people plugged in? How do I make sure discipleship is still happening? How do we keep moving forward? How, How do I shepherd this family? And Taylor has this gift of like preaching little five-minute sermons and meetings that just like stick like gold. (laughs) And he was like, hey man, we're a vertical church. You have to remember that. We are a vertical church. The reason why our church is still here, the reason why our church is protected, the reason why God's hand is on this place is because we're dedicated from day one to preach the gospel unapologetically. Nate, do that and he will sustain this he will work it out so we find ourselves on the outside wondering about these secrets about the kingdom of god god in his grace he reveals them to you right now ephesians 1 verse 7 says in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace in which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight verse 9 making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Standing here right now, I don't know what God's specific will is on your life, but what I do know is how deeply he longs for you to be a part of this family. Lay down your anxieties, your fears, whatever your picture is of yourself, Accept that you're broken, sinful, in need of a savior. Accept Jesus's perfect sacrifice for you. Enter this family and experience new life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I'm I'm humbled. Lord, I'm thankful for your church. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of your family. Lord, I pray for those that are lost. I pray for those that don't know you that this will stick. That we'll rally together, get through this, putting our hope, trust and our faith in you. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.